Welcome to another episode of Foreign, Domestic and Forbidden, the podcast about books and ideas. I'm Tim Trash. I am Joaquin Lobo. And we'll be your hosts for the next hour. Joaquin, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm in Mexico City right now. I'm at this Airbnb in right next to Parque España in Colonia Condesa, being part of the problem instead of the solution. Mm. You know, I know you shouldn't you shouldn't use Airbnb because they destroy cities like Mexico City and neighborhoods like like these neighborhoods and many other neighborhoods. Yeah. But I've been doing it since 2015. I think that's the first time that I use Airbnb. It's very convenient. You know, the hotel that I like right here in Colonia Condesa is called Casa Mali. It's really expensive. Um, I used to go to um, what's Camino Real. It's completely out of the way. It's really nice, not as expensive, but out of the way. So, you know, Airbnb, I know I'm another gringo in Mexico City, but unlike those <laughs> young, hip, migrant Wi-Fi workers, I'm here on a vacation for 10 days. Then I'll be back in Oakland, California pretty soon. Cool. Yeah. And we have a guest today. And it's Mauricio. Uh, and Again. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool that you're that you're back. And you, so so how far away from each other are you guys? Mm, like uh, 50 blocks. Oh, okay. Blocks away. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Like a 10 minute. Pretty close. Yeah, 10 minute walk, probably. Yeah. So glad to have you to have you back. It's always great wow. to see you. It's great to to be here with you guys. We with you, team at the bottom of the ocean with all these trash they're <laughs> <laughs> showing us. Yeah, um, yeah. My my background is is the deep ocean, and the floor is covered in trash. Yeah, we, we were going to talk about something that could be. That must be interesting for for your audience. So, Tim, I I hope so. I hope so. So so I've been reading um, Mariana Enriquez's uh, Our Share of Night, and and I was and, and, and I am being remember like like reminded of how much I like books that delve into realms. That are that we normally don't see or acknowledge in in our normal everyday lives. We don't think about the occult or other worlds beside our own, unless we think about multiverses. But that's a little different. But um, usually, we don't acknowledge that there could be a magical realm, something that that is connected to the divine, to something divine. Um, but that we also don't understand, but seek knowledge from. We want to be part of it. We want to understand it. We want to harness the power for our own good. And that's a that's a realm that has always fascinated and frightened me at the same time. Something that might exist, uh, but that can't be acknowledged. Fully, either because it's uh, 
too powerful or sinister to be made public or people want to use it for their own good. And so I, I, I wanted us to talk a little bit about, yeah, uh, books about the occult, the possibilities of the occult, how we deal with realms that might be there but might not be there, what we think of them. And, and and what it might do in the fiction we read or what it might evoke in readers, why we have that, why a book written in 2023 delves deep into, into the occult, into the magical realm and, and uh, what it does there. After so many years, uh, centuries of science, of quote unquote rational thought of course we're not rational beings but still um like why are we coming back to that and 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 what need in us does it fulfill perhaps now you reminded me now that you were talking about uh, Marianne Enriquez's novel I haven't read that yet um I have read other books by by Enriquez but that reminded me of of the upside down in Stranger mm. Things, <laughs> the Netflix series. That's that's yes. practically the same concept, right? Yes. Of, of this world that that is uh, just close to our world, yeah. And just takes uh, well a special like mindset to jump into that other world, and, and also talking about books. Um, I'm thinking about one of. Stephen King's, uh, one of my favorite novels by Stephen King, uh, that's Lizzie's story. And that also has this other realm called uh, Buja Moon, if I remember correctly, where the uh, main character was a writer. Well, we know that Stephen King loves to write about writers and their writing worlds. And this uh, writer, this author in, in Lizzie's story, has this realm where he can escape, like a dream world where he can escape and where he gets all his material for his books. That's, mm. uh, I think that's quite an interesting way of talking about inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh, right? Yeah. But like creating this other, like, like, like I say, dream world of dream realm where you can go and, and take all your material and then come to this reality to this world to write about with that other world with the material that you get from that other world so there's that the upside down and buja moon there's two realms two fantastic realms uh close to our world yeah and and, and i think your your comparison to to the upside down is 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 really very pertinent because it's very it's very different, but also very similar in that um, there is this world, and as soon as as we enter it, there's a wrangling about who who's getting to use it. How can we how can we harness the power of that and use it? And and that's kind of the same also for a writer who wants to of course make money maybe you know or become famous like like using 
using the imagination instead of just enjoying it or having it, using it to get something. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's that might be like one of the one of the strange things um that I'm observing sort of with the occult in 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 books that um there's there's this sense that we we have another realm that is that is very powerful that allows us to be more than we usually are in our everyday lives but our relationship to that is never quote unquote pure uh, as soon as we discover it it's it's almost sullied and soiled by by us trying to to use it and and then it goes usually really really bad and and something terrible <laughs> happens like with the upside down like like scientists trying to use it for nefarious purposes and warfare and what have you and um and also in mariana enriquez's like that the governing body of this whole experience the order is using that to gain power and and exert political power but but what do you guys think about the existence of that realm is that something that we use only as a metaphor or do you feel that is something that's actually part of our human experience i i couldn't finish that novel by mariana enriquez nuestra parte de noche um, I thought it had a really good start, and then it just felt to me like it dragged on and on. Um, I like her <laughs> short stories very much. I, I My favorite collection of short stories is things that... Um, we lost in the fire. Things we lost in the fire, uh, which is a weird title of a film by by Susan Beer, the, the, yeah. the Danish filmmaker, I think she ripped it off, not knowing that it already existed. Um, but you know what? What intrigued me was um, were a couple of things. The first one that, as an Argentinian writer, she sort of inscribed herself in a tradition that that you know found really good representatives like Julio Cortázar, someone who was interested in indigenous cultures and and. And, and and the other world and Cortázar was very very much a fan of you know otherness the interstitio you know a term that that he used to describe like falls in time access to other kind of realities other kind of experiences that were uh, you know that belong in a different dimension and he wrote a lot of stories like that the one that I like best and I know that Mauricio loves this story is La Noche Boca Arriba. It's mm -hmm. one of the the, the night the night face up in English. It's one of those stories where the indigenous and the contemporary world uh, come together. And I think that for some Latin American authors like Mariana Enriquez, Julio Cortázar, Carlos Fuentes in Mexico, for instance, this fascination with with forces that that somehow were familiar to indigenous peoples, like like Fuentes is fascinated by by the experiences of the Aztecs, the, the 
the Aztec religions. And he wrote notable uh, works of fiction that, that had to do a lot with that. I think that in that novel, Marianne Enriquez, I mean, even though I didn't finish it, it was very clear to me that she was very interested in those forces, which in other literatures, in other cultures, and I'm thinking um, American literature, you, you can go back to, to Lovecraft to find something similar. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what for Lovecraft is this, this ancient gods, right? He talks mm-hmm. a lot about ancient gods um, that, uh, you know, in this whole um, uh, Hulu, how do I pronounce it in, in English? The Hulu. Hulu. The Hulu narratives and the Hulu myths have very specific identities. I think they're parallel to, to you know, many things that we have in, in Latin American indigenous cultures in Argentina, in Peru, uh, but you know, notably in in Mexico, in the, in the Aztec culture, in the Mayan, in the Mayan culture. So this exploration, I think, is 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 really really fascinating, and and somehow it has become a very you know current anxiety for writers like Mariana Enriquez. The, the 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 forces that you know, like the other thing that's like right there in front of us, but we cannot see until something triggers their appearance like mauricio you know pointed out really well in 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 this in this very successful series stranger things that that something triggers triggers the presence of these forces and then you know we don't know what to do with that well i i do believe uh this how can we call it this realm this world this dimension is not the only one that exists and I think one uh, um, form of accessing this other realm, these other realities, is through dreams, and obviously through nightmares. Uh, the dream world is, uh, as we know, is a realm that uh, needs to be more explored by scientists. I think. I think this that's uh, that's part not only of the brain but of our world, what constitutes us humans, that needs to be explored more by, by the science. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, for example, one example that these um, kind of realms of other dimensions exist for me is what we call deja vu. Although I know it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, mechanism of remembrance or of memory but sometimes when we have these deja vus i think we're accessing like like for seconds for maybe for nanoseconds these other realms or dimensions where we already were and then yes. we kind of uh, are remembering that experience right I, I don't know if for you guys it's the same thing but every time i have these deja vus I think well, maybe I'm the, the door, so to speak, open for a few seconds for me, and then yeah. I could access that other room, that other reality, and then I I come back to this reality. That's lovely that you're saying that because um, I I stumbled sort of it's, I'm 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 two thirds through the book and. Um, there's an episode taking place in 1960s London and Mariana Enriquez 
um, brings up the Hawksmoor churches in in London. And Peter Aykroyd famously wrote Hawksmoor about those six churches that Nicholas Hawksmoor, who was an architect under Christopher Wren, built. And, and in that novel, um, he has the architect looking for human sacrifices for his churches because they're devoted not to the light and Christopher Wren and rational thought and all that, but they're devoted to to the shadow, to the, I could say satanic, but but that sounds too too uh, too simplistic, I think. But but yeah, to to the darkness. Um, and and the churches are built so that it's not a play of light, but a play of shadows within. And they're really beautiful. Um, I visited them in the early 90s. And and they have a, I mean, maybe because I had read the book, uh, and but they have this special aura. But what's interesting about what you're saying about the different timelines, um, there's also Ellen Moore's From Hell, which also has... The brings in the Hawksmoor churches, uh, especially Spitalfields. And, and there the premise is that all our timelines exist at the same time and that by some magic, by some action, usually it's something very, quote-unquote, evil, depraved. We can tear down the walls and, and cross over. That by the actions of Jack the Ripper, the murders, the ritualistic murders, we can break down these walls and access something else. And I think the deja vu is is the might be in the in the in that sense, the benign form of that. Hmm. When it happens to us that we notice that, oh, we've experienced that already. It, that is a memory. We we exist in the future, and and now we're bringing something back from the future. We recognize what we ex already experienced. That's, I want to hear what Mauricio. Mauricio just wrote a really great essay on Jack the Reaper, so I'm dying to hear what what you have to say about. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I in that thank you. I in that essay, I I didn't take into account this the, the churches and the spirituals, of course. I wrote about uh, White Chapel, but what interested me, uh, uh, what Tim is saying, and maybe, maybe after writing about Jack the Ripper just recently, maybe I can, I can do another essay with this angle, with this like ritualistic, Alan Moorish angle of of, of from hell. I I quote obviously from hell in my essay. Uh, but I didn't take into account this like satanic or evil angle of Jack uh, or supernatural, if we can call it that. We would like to call it that angle, uh, Jack the Ripper. But that's that's quite interesting because um, uh, until recently, I mean, the real identity of the one of the most famous serial killers remains in the shadows. Mm -hmm. Although there are many theories that who could have been uh, the murderer of murderers, 
I think I I think the most um, plausible theory is that there was not only one killer, but maybe mm. two or maybe more. Um, uh, but but the but this idea of this uh, killing of murdering shadow uh, traveling through the darkness is is quite enticing. It's quite horrible, but horrible, but horrendous, but also quite enticing and fascinating, because yeah, uh, in from actually in from hell, uh, Jack the, the well the the character that maybe is Jack the Ripper, a doctor, says that. Uh, when people look back uh, to my to my killings, they will say they will notice that I give birth, I gave birth to the 20th century, and that I mean that that quote is quite interesting if we if we look at it closely. It's not only like like a, you know that kind of occurrence by Alan Moore, but it's quite interesting taking into account that. Uh, Maybe yes, maybe maybe Jack the Ripper was the one who gave birth to the 20th century with all the atrocities. Obviously, yes, he was the first uh, serial killer that was pretty well known and that became part of of pop culture, right? Yeah. Uh, but maybe it's there's more there's more to that, and I like that idea that that Tim just put on the table that um, maybe there's. Maybe he, the the Jack the Ripper murders, opened or were a threshold to access other dimensions and other uh, realities. I mean, uh, I'm thinking now of Thomas de Quincey, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, murder considered an, as a work of art. And mm -hmm. uh, he was, uh, I mean, Thomas de Quincey was, he opened different doors to other dimensions through the use of opium, for example. Yeah. Right? And uh, so it's this is for me this this nineteenth this whole nineteenth century mythology for me is really really fascinating. I uh, several times I have said that I wish I was born in the nineteenth century. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there was I I I, I like uh, reading about the nineteenth century. I feel this might sound ridiculous or absurd, but I feel quite comfortable reading about uh, the nineteenth century. I think I think any time where we didn't have smartphones would have been better than than this time. No cell phones, no Wi-Fi. I'm going oh. to I'm going to suggest a, a you know different reading of this from the perspective of what's going on in societies such as Mexico, where um, human sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Uh, ritualistic killings um, have acquired a, a very, very different uh, uh, meaning for the larger society. Um, I think there is a dangerous, um, excuse me, a dangerous reading of 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 the occult and the. I'm sorry. And, and this type of, of concepts where we we idealize and we romanticize um, concepts such as um, human sacrifice and, and these kind of rituals uh, performed to honor these old gods, these deities that uh, we don't really know, you know, other than through, through these really interesting 
uh, novels, short stories, TV series, and so on. So we we really have no no other way of of understanding them uh, other than as, as readers. But you know, I just arrived in Mexico City right after the horrific killing of uh, five kids, kidnapping of five kids in in Mauricio's home state in Jalisco. Um, and some very disturbing rituals took place in, in in after the kidnapping of these kids where they were forced to to kill each other. And you know, there there was a video that I didn't see. I didn't even try to see it, that where they were forced to perform these horrific kind of 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 of, of killing rituals. And, and that really messed up Mexican society. I think there was something very dark about this kidnapping and this murder. They were, you know, burned after that. That reminded me, of course, of um, the killing of women in Ciudad Juarez, you know, many, many years ago. That was researched by a dear friend of Mauricio and a friend of mine, Sergio Gonzalez Rodriguez, who wrote a really great book, uh, which was ended up being a source of... Uh, great deal of information for Roberto Bolaño's masterpiece uh, 2666, which Mauricio, he could lecture for many hours about Bolaño and that novel and Sergio Gonzalez Rodriguez. We don't have the time. But that is a kind of ritualistic killing that takes place in Mexico that's very, very disturbing, where the narco machine, as we, as some academics call it right now, is endlessly producing um, dead bodies, uh, beheadings, rapes, and killings. And all of many, many of these killings, many of these uh, crimes performed by the narco machine uh, are closely related to the occult. There is, a, there is a, 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 a cult of the Santa Muerte, of holy death, that's well established. I just read a piece yesterday or a few days ago, probably in the New York Times, where there is already um, a, a kind of a temple of a church devoted to, to, to the Santa Muerte in New York, is quickly going to places like, like in, in, in many, many places in South America, Central America, and now it's coming to the US. There is nothing good about this manifestation of this. Um, interest, this this fascination with the occult, it related to 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 the collapse of of societies, in particular Mexican society, where were being held hostage of of organized crime and the cartels. So of course I'm 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 going off on a different direction that doesn't have anything to do with literature, or maybe it does. I don't know, but this is just one of those. Uh, disturbing manifestations of the occult and its, you know, negative influences on the imagination and the acts of people who who are fascinated by by this particular topic. Do you think that um, that that the narcos are usurping Santa Muerte in 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 order to? To, to gain sort of this godlike status, like to become part of the folklore, or do you think that they're actually actively promoting it as, as a way of life? I mean, basically, are they just abusing it, or do you think Santa Muerte has become powerful because of them? 
I think it's both. On the one mm -hmm. hand, I think that it's within the psyche and the nature of some, you know, people, not only Mexicans, but some people who are behaving in exactly the same way as the Aztecs and other people did centuries ago. This extreme cruelty, male cruelty that's very connected to religion, uh, to, 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 you know, an instinct of, of cruelty and death that many males have in these societies. Maybe people don't want to talk about it, but I'm afraid of this man. As a man, I'm afraid of all this man. Mauricio, I'm sure you share of this, some of this, of this fear, and many people share some of this fear. This, these, these people have just no, they, I mean, they're like a different, you know, species. And on the other hand, there is this, this you know, yes, what, what you see as an influence of the religion and this cycle of you know retro retroalimentation between between what happens that it's a business too let's not forget that it's a very profitable profitable business that's being fed by by the american dependence on drugs i mean americans you know everybody's everybody who's doing some kind of drug in 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 the us or in europe or in south america is a partner in this horrific uh in in the in the in the wars of this narco machine uh so yeah, Mauricio. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so too. I, I, I was, I was thinking now of a, of a really great and creepy, um, gruesome sci film that I saw recently. I have watched it twice, so that really speaks about my what my mind said is right now. Called the medium. I don't know if anyone has seen that. Well, it's it's like a, a kind of uh, found footage film mm -hmm. is is uh, in that line of films, and it's about the what interests me very much uh, about this film is the exploration of occult folklore in Thailand related oh. to mm -hmm. ancient forces, ancient gods, the dead, other worlds, etc. So um, yeah, it's 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 a very, as I said, it's a really good but creepy and gruesome uh, film. But it's quite interesting in that like anthropological way. It doesn't have to do with drug dealings or narco killings, but it has to do with folklore and how the occult and the ancient forces are still present in today's world. And it only takes people like the main character, like the medium of the title, to like conjure those forces to to this world, right? It's the film is about mainly it's about like demonic possession, uh, but as I say, what interests me the most about this film is that exploration of the the Thai ancient folklore in today's uh, world. I, I didn't know about uh, many of the practices that takes place in different places of Thailand nowadays. I, I and It reminds me that now that Hubemal is talking about that, Joaquin, sorry, is talking about uh, the presence of mm, or the reanimation of Aztec forces in today's Mexico. That kind of uh, rang a bell with that uh, Thai film for me, and, and yes, uh, also my my friend 
our friend Sergio Gonzalez wrote a brutal, uh, violent, but excellent book called The Headless Man in 2009. I don't think it has been translated into English yet, but it's about, um, listen to this, it's 2009. That's more than 10 years ago. And Sergio was uh, already talking about how uh, these narco practices were becoming more and more violent, mm-hmm. right? And and in in this book, this nonfiction book, uh, he uh, manages to interview. I I I wouldn't forget uh, that part in my whole life. I'm not gonna forget it because he manages to interview uh, eighteen or seventeen or eighteen year old kid who specializes in beheading people. He works for the narco. He has been recruited for the narco since he was very young. And he became a specialist in beheading people, right? And the the, the way that this kid talks about beheading people, it really freezes and curls your blood because it's not fiction. It's real. And there are many... Uh, unfortunately, many kids are not recruited by the narco forces in the narco cartels in Mexico, and they uh, are trained in different kinds of killing people, mm-hmm. right? Burning people, uh, beheading people, dismembering people, etc. So, yeah, this uh, incident, this recent incident that took place in my home state that now i uh, this morning i read that other uh, kids were just kidnapped yesterday in the same place so maybe oh. the next few days they're gonna end up like the other five kids uh, I, I also didn't watch uh the video that is you know circulating through social mm-hmm. media because I, I i don't want to right. have these things in my life in my mind Right. Uh, I just read the, the news. I'm horrified by, by them. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it has to do, obviously, with the occult. Many of these killings. I remember the, the, the other book by your friend Sergio, Huesos uh, en el Desierto, Bones in the Desert, that uh, it was an investigation on the killings of women in Ciudad Juarez at the beginning of the 2000s. Um, the, uh, Sergio talks about these ritual killings and that many, not all of them, but some of them are like initiations, not only to the narco machines, but to, but to other, other kind of, 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 of sects, of cults that, have, that deal with the Santa Muerte and with other like ancient forces that are, that are still, you know, around. I, I think that books such as El Hombre Sin Cabeza by Sergio, they should be mandatory reading because they, 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 they really force you in a really brutal way to take a hard look at the reality of a place where violence has become, uh, you know, the daily, the daily, daily occurrence for for many many people in many regions. I was also reminded of books. Um, there is there is a Danish journalist, Asne's sister, wrote a Kabul bookseller, one of the most uh, famous books. 
she wrote a chilling book about the killing of uh, 50 plus students in a small island in Denmark. Maybe you remember that there are a couple mm-hmm. of films. Yeah. Um, in Norway. In Norway. I'm sorry, in Norway. Yes, in Norway. And and the book is called One of Us. Mm. Um, and, you know, the title tells you a lot because it's about the, the guy who killed um, those 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 kids, mostly kids, very, very young, young kids who were part of a political party and they were in a retreat. Uh, and, and this guy, uh, you know, massacred in a really horrible way and forced uh, Norwegian society to to take a hard look at, at you know, re- very reprint that they had with right-wingers and mad right-wingers who, who had access to, to weapons and all that hatred. The problem with Mexico is that, you know, we don't have one guy who is... Who is who, who, who's crazy and goes off and starts killing people. Here we have an entire segment of society who has made of of of, of killing and, and 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 selling drugs and and um, holding Mexicans Mexican society hostage with with a para uh, uh, military government that's parallel to the to to the official government and and a government that. Is not willing to to do anything to take care of this issue, um, so you know it's 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 more like a huge corporation, uh, mega corporation that's taken over uh, with several you know like branches, different regions regions of the country. And Sergio was you know back in two thousand nine was smart enough to realize that we were already dealing with a, with a really terrible problem. So, and now when you think of, you know, narratives such as your call, which are, you know, really interesting and so on, um, how do you, how do you, you know, read that from a place of great desperation, such as these societies where, you know, fear, horror, terror is not, is not, you know, the, the realm of, of, of fictional narratives, hmm. but is your daily bread. You 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 read you you open the newspaper you you check out the news on on your cell phone and it's right there it's not fiction it's it's real. What what always fascinated me I think about sort of books about the occult is the the democratic nature of that darkness. It's sort of like <clears throat> the the other side of the coin, like from from star wars the force you know like like in in the in the first three episodes four through six you know like like later they explain that with blood count and it's really awkward and weird and becomes kind of jesusy and whatever but but the first three episodes the force is very democratic like you have it or you don't but it's not given to you because you're rich or you are awesome or whatever like like some people have it and 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 some don't and but it 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 encompasses everything and and I feel that the occult with a slightly darker tinge has the same promise that you can access it you might not be the most talented or you might not be the medium or the priest or whatever, but but it's a very democratic force and it makes you experience the world on a level that 
doesn't exclude you from its power. Um, because often, I mean, like when people talk about politics, they feel completely defeated. They feel powerless. They hate politicians because they think they're all corrupt. And so the occult is the non-corrupt force that they can access. And of course, like this whole idea of religion being the opium of the people plays into that too, like that that maybe we can only feel powerful uh, by accessing the occult without actually being really powerful in any way or, or, or changing anything. But it gives us this, this democratic uh, means to feel that we are part of something bigger. And because it's secret and dark, it's also a bit juicier than going into a Catholic church or a Lutheran church and praying to that because that is all very corporate. So it has sort of also this, this, this sense of adventure. And to bring that to, to what you just said, Joaquin, um, that might be, and I hate that I bring him up, but anyway, that might also be the appeal of somebody like Donald Trump, you know, and QAnon that it's like that he, and that's an interesting parallel, I think, to to the main figure in, in Enriquez's novel, Juan Peterson, who is this medium who can open the darkness. He's an asshole. Yeah, and, and, and he knows that he's an asshole, and he knows that he's not yeah, pure. He's handsome, and everybody likes him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody wants to sleep with him, and he <laughs> he's fine. he's fine with that, yeah. Um, but but it's it's that that a lot of people, even maybe the religious right, see see Trump as this fool, this horrible figure. But he is about. I mean, he can unleash this powerful darkness, these powerful forces, and they want to be a part of that because it makes them feel more powerful than voting for normal politicians. And we see that I think right now with the primaries. All the other candidates are normal politicians, and people don't want anything to do with that because they don't seem powerful. They don't. And seem... it's happening. It's happening right now in Argentina. They have a candidate, yes. an Argentinian Trump, Javier Milei, oh who is a God. fucking nut who wants to blow everything up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is yet this guy. These these are the dark angels, right? Trump, yeah. the dark angel. Milei is the dark angel. They come to 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 break havoc, to destroy everything, right? And to, and to create from the ashes, but they have nothing to create. They have empty promises. <laughs> yeah, but they're charismatic. People love yeah. these. They, they they remind me now 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 that you're talking about this. Uh, I mean, maybe a figure, a character like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. <laughs> I recently rewatched that. It's an amazing film. It's one of my favorite uh, superheroes movies, and he talks about bringing chaos, about how there are people who just want to bring chaos into the world. Yes, he, he doesn't give a shit about anything. In, in, uh, there's this the scene where he goes to the hospital with uh, uh, to to talk with Harvey Dent, the DA who gets uh, you know blow up. And becomes a villain, 
the Two-Face villain, and the Joker tells him that, you know, the, uh, you you should put more anarchy. He says that you, you should put more anarchy into your life. You know, be do do random things. The the problem with you guys, he says something like that, is that you have already you have your schemes. You are schemers, and he says, "I'm not a, ske- a schemer. I'm outside any scheme." Mm. So, so when when a character like that, who I, I, now that Joaquin is talking about Belay, he reminds me of the Joker because he's himself okay. a Joker, this Argentinian clown, this Argentinian Joker, uh, and he reminds me of that. I want to destroy everything. I want to destroy the city just for the sake of destroying what's already built and that's the joker that's this like force of evil nature that breaks havoc into the world that's uh, i mean uh, i think that film the dark knight must be seen in now in a political light more political light forget about you know the superhero thing and yeah that's one thing but but i think nolan did uh quite good political film absolutely yeah and it's a, it's a post-trump film absolutely mm-hmm. it's, it's possible thanks to trump no it's a pre it's a pre-trump film. is it when yeah. when was it made uh it's maybe um 2010 12 i thought it was i thought it 20, was 2008 oh my god no way 2008, yeah. Well, yeah. then, then it makes sense. It's one of those visionary films. It's like a cautionary tale. Like, look, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't change your stupid ways. Yeah. And we didn't, right? Yeah. We elected the Joker as the president. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And also the, the how the character of the DA of Harvey Dent becomes you know, in touch with the dark side, with the dark side of the force, after being uh, burned half of his face uh, uh, by the by the Joker himself. Uh, that's also quite interesting, uh, quite interesting metaphor of how politicians, you know, can be in touch with the other side, with the dark side, and have two faces. It's a it's a really really interesting film if you see it, if you watch it now. At the light of all this uh, political upheaval that we are experiencing, yeah, I would love to explore more what what Tim was saying about the democratic nature of of mm. this type of fiction because I think that's uh, well, of course, I agree with that that statement. I think it's a very clever way of putting it, but also as a democratic as any democratic thing has its dangers, right? It's mm-hmm. got, it's it's just not a given that just because it's democratic, it's it will have positive effects. No, I think it can turn populist very very quickly, um, as as opposed to popular. Like like yesterday when I did a little research, um, somebody commented on that Peter Ackroyd's novel, Hogsmoor, uh, was by some critics interpreted as sort of rationalism, rational thought, enlightenment versus mysticism uh, versus the belief of the people, popular culture. And so I, I think something like QAnon is, 
is a dark outcropping of that, of this, everybody can read it. There are these messages hidden in newspapers, weird announcements, but anybody can access that. It's a popular thing. It's democratic. But in the hands of somebody like Trump or the Argentinian guy, um, that can, of course, become sort of this tear down populism where it's not like democratic anymore, but it, it, it becomes... Uh, a very destructive force. It's no longer democratic, but it's mob mentality. It's 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 craziness. It's madness, where where the darkness or or the religious aspect of another world is just being used to destroy things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I was just trying to 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 locate uh, uh, the exact quote uh from the joker in the dark night cool let yeah um um, okay here it is it's quite interesting Uh, he says to harvey dent the joker introduce a little anarchy upset the established order and everything becomes chaos i'm an agent of chaos oh and you know the thing about chaos it's fair (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 an amazing i mean line uh, uh but also chilling <laughs> right yeah yeah because because he's right because he's absolutely right yeah. um, it again it's it's yeah it's yeah great. you should you, you should it's a uh apart from being a, a great film i i think it it, it has it it relates to many things that we're experiencing Nowadays, yeah, more than a decade uh, after Nolan shot uh, the film, it's quite. Uh, I mean, it feels like it was shot yesterday. No, yeah. I, I watched it uh, like maybe two years, two weeks ago, and I was really taken aback by the actuality of the film. I was like, oh "My God, <laughs> what? What do you know? These these guys are visionaries, like a yeah. medium, or he saw." something in these in these three films but especially in the second one is the dark knight was I, my remember, I remember being afraid that somehow this film would inspire a lot of people to do crazy shit mm. and that's one of the you know going back to the democratization of fiction of narratives to me that's one of the dangers of of some of some of some narratives of, of certain storytelling that it becomes appealing in the wrong way Mm-hmm. And that's something mm-hmm. that I was really, really scared of when I when I first watched uh, Joker. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, we're gonna have like all kinds of crazy shit happening in in major cities, and it didn't. It really didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 strange. Um, and I haven't read about the kidnappings of the kids and and the torture uh, of them, but. Um, there are passages in the book that are really hard to take in in our share of night about kids being deformed and their 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 limbs broken in in order to create this darkness in order to create this force that allows the darkness to be opened and um it's yeah it if it appeals to the wrong people then then yeah that's um that's a horrible force. 
that mm. that people could yeah that if they became like role models right. for, for people we we've yeah. written terrible things in some of our stories tim you have you have i have mauricio we have written yeah. terrible things are we to be held responsible if someone I mean, I should. I just finished writing a novel about this very topic. I'm not going to say. Huh? I told Mauricio something about it yesterday. But but what do you do? You know, when readers take to to certain extreme, are inspiring some something that they read in a book and they decide to act on. You know, some of those ideas. Well, I mean, sure. I I, I do think. I mean, there's. I, I don't think there's a responsibility of oh, you did it now. You have to go to prison or or anything. But but whenever you play with with difficult ideas, there's of course um, the the danger that somebody will misunderstand or take it the wrong way. But um, I mean, uh, the responsibility is not so much that. It, we can't control how people will read things. And so I think every writer, no matter what, I think is aware that their work can be misinterpreted in horrible ways. Um, I mean, do something... We actually know if, do we actually know that someone, you know, back many, many years ago, after reading Lolita by Nabokov, do we actually know someone decided to to take advantage to take advantage of a young girl because you know he was inspired by the book i mean this is the kind of thing that makes people ban books right a lot of books get banned because people are afraid of of these of, of these readers and of these writers but i agree we cannot blame the writer because of you know the misdeeds of a crazy reader but if no, you say yeah But at the same time, we need to be aware that this is what, what's going to happen. We're playing with the darkness. Yes. You know? I mean, we're... we're... Even Enriquez is playing with really dark forces in that book. Yeah. And and, and so, so this playing with it, of course, brings it about too, or can bring it about. I mean, the, the book is a way of unveiling the darkness in certain ways acknowledging the darkness you know and and i don't mean to say that she like like she's responsible for anything like like not at all but but when you play with these things and i have done that in my own books too like like of course you you are warming yourself at the fire of the dark forces Please don't send Stefan Kisby to jail because of the terrible <laughs> things he's <laughs> Send yes, him to I, jail. I think, I I mean, uh, uh, this is maybe a cliche, but darkness is a quite fascinating, fascinating subject. You know, more than light uh, many, many times. But... Uh, Yeah, I, I, I don't think that uh, a writer, an author should be held uh, responsible for what he writes, because just in case that some reader takes it in the wrong way. For example, uh, J.D. Salinger's oh, uh, yeah. The Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. I mean, you could say that that book 
uh, provoked uh, John Lennon's murder. But that's not quite right. No. There's a crazy guy. There was a crazy guy that read that book and felt like inspired by Holden Caulfield, who actually is not a murderer. I mean, he's a trouble kid. He 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 speaks from an asylum, as we from an insane asylum, as we as we know. But that doesn't mean that Salinger provoked uh, Chapman, Mark Chapman, to kill. Uh, John Lennon. I, I I think that's I don't know. You were talking about uh, Lolita Joaquin. That's that's the same thing. Maybe yeah. Maybe a guy uh, somewhere I don't know in in Tennessee read yeah. or uh, Nabokov's book and felt compelled. But that compulsion. Uh, but there is a Lolita is a really beautiful book. It's a gorgeous yeah. book. Catcher in the Rye is a really boring. Book. I don't like the writing at all. It's an awful <laughs> book. I don't know why it's so fucking famous. Oh, now we're gonna okay. get the hate mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think uh, Catcher in the Rye is also a very beautiful book. I read, <laughs> I reread re it recently. I mean, a couple of years back during the, the pandemic, and I found it uh, more beautiful than when I read it the first time, and mm. more interesting, and especially when, uh, 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 as I say many times. When I grow up, I would like to create a powerful voice like Holden Caulfield. I mean, you actually hear that kid. I mean, it, it's well, I, read, a... I read both of you. I read Mauricio Montiel and I read Salinger. I like better your writing than Salinger. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. But uh, okay. Thank you. But All right. We have. We have to come to our recommendations today. Uh, Mauricio, what do you have for us? Well, I have, uh, as far as the, uh, I mean, TV series, for example, uh, The Crowded Room. Mm. That's a new miniseries with uh, Tom Holland and Amanda Seyfried based on an actual ter terrible, horrible uh, case. Uh, that's for TV series of uh, films. Uh, talking about light, light. I mean, like luminous, not a light light. You know, like mm -hmm. lightweight films. I just watched uh, the Irish film called The Quiet Girl. I mean, oh, you, you you should see that. It's a very very beautiful film that deals with topics that don't usually we, we don't usually uh, are close to, like kindness and generosity. In human beings, so so it's a really beautiful and sad and melancholic film, but uh, it's an amazing film. And books, right now I'm reading uh, Stefan Zweig biography of Mary Stewart. Oh, it's a, it's a it's a fascinating read. I I I I <laughs> I, I kept reading until like one a.m. last night because I couldn't stop. So. Those are my three recommendations. Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lobo. Oh, The Quiet Girl is an amazing film. But I'm going to recommend a place in Mexico, in the center historic of Mexico City. It's called Café El Popular. They have great stories. a very, very old, old uh, Mexican place. And they have the most amazing conchas. So mm. you know what I'm talking about? Head to Café Popular on Cinco de Mayo in Centro Histórico. 
Also, while there, you have to go and check out, I went to watch a show by Mexican artist from Oaxaca, Sergio Hernandez. This is his 10-pound catalog book, gorgeous, that I'm bringing with me back to California. Sergio Hernandez show on um, Colegio San Ildefonso in Centro Historico. It's a really, really amazing opportunity to watch the work of one of the best Mexican painters from Oaxaca. Cool. Wonderful. And my recommendation is an album. <clears throat> it's called Maya Huel, and it's by the band Savila. And I recently discovered it, and I don't know, there's something about it. It's I, I'm not sure how to categorize it, so I won't, um, but um, it's, yeah, there's something really lovely about it. Like it, it, it came to me because I was, I was um, walking through a park uh, just like two miles from here and they had a concert on a Sunday afternoon and um, I tried to, to find music that corresponded to that. Uh, I, I came at the tail end. I, couldn't talk to anyone I didn't know like what was going on there and um Savila Maya Huel Mauricio thank you thank so you. much for coming on it's Thanks so great to me. see you yeah thank you thank you and thanks everybody for listening. Um, our music, the intro and outro, is by Springtide. It's their Coney Island Train Blues, and it comes to us via the free music archive. Thanks for listening, and come back in two weeks. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. bye.